Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talked. Ready and willing to hunt a great white whale? Just call me Ahab. Tell the story you know. I hear you're hunting dangerous game. This is different. This is about something. I've put up with your suicidal drinking, your compulsive gambling, your silly platonic affairs. I gave you a second chance. How wealth and influence can crush a man. Are you hoping I might absolve you of such a personal betrayal? You made yourself court jester. Nobody but nobody makes a monkey out of William Randolph first. You pick a fight with Willie. You are finished. Mank. Mr. Mankiewicz. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this special bonus episode of Citizen Dame. And this is, in fact, even a very special bonus episode, because even though this film did not win the poll, we decided that we wanted to talk about it anyways, because we have feelings. Uh, I am <laughs> so Lauren... many. <laughs> <laughs> I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks, and with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello. How are you? I'm not bad. How are you? Meh. You know, yeah. it's fine. There's, you know, a deadly virus going around, but whatever. It's fine. Yeah, let's that. have a party. There's that. Yeah, that's definitely, that sounds like a great idea. Like, <laughs> like that sounds like exactly what you want to do. Definitely no movies or stories have ever been written about something like that. No, um, <laughs> can't think of a, a single one that I've watched 800 times. <laughs> Oh my god. All right. So, so this evening, uh, this is evening when we're recording this, by the way. So this evening, we are going to talk about a film that has divided people uh, (laughs) that has made, you know, definitely created some interesting debates about the historical reality versus film and things like that. But we're going to talk about Mank. That is the 2020 David Fincher film. It was recently released on Netflix and stars Gary Oldman as Herman J. Mankiewicz, who is the writer, co-writer of the film Citizen Kane. And it's sort of about Mank's existence in Hollywood in the 1930s and how that informed uh, the eventual writing of Citizen Kane. So this is an, this is an interesting film. I mean, this, this is a over two hour long film about a fairly little, little known screenwriter from the 1930s and 40s. He died in 1953. Uh, and, and it's interesting. I think is is probably the way that I would describe it. Um, before I go off on it, Karen, what did you think of Mank? What were your feelings about it? Oh, man. All right. So I want to start by saying that I went into this movie expecting it to be just really terrible and bloated and pompous. And um, I have not enjoyed, like, really enjoyed... Gone Girl's fine, but it's been a long time since I've really liked a David Fincher film. They're, they tend to be very cold and um, uh, there's always just kind of, especially recently, there's just been kind of this like disconnect and this chilliness that can work. And obviously it does work for a lot of people. It doesn't necessarily always work for me, especially the way he does it. And so I went into this with very low expectations And I'm not going to say that it's not bloated and pompous, um, but because I definitely think that it has a lot of that, but it also, I found myself enjoying some of it more than I expected to. And so I walked away from it going, 
did I like that movie or did I just not hate it as much as I expected? So I had to watch it again to really get a better sense. And I definitely, I already know I liked it more than you did. That does not mean I loved it. It's not, (laughs) it's not by any stretch, like my favorite David Fincher movie. I was on the watch and talk podcast last week and we did a top five David Fincher's. This still doesn't make it into my top five David Fincher's, but I think that there are things about it that are are good and interesting and I, yeah I think your use of that word is is really appropriate um yeah so I'll start there and then <laughs> throw it to you <laughs> well yeah I and I, I think that it is interesting and I think that it's interesting first of all to take on the I mean it's a this is an obscure story in a lot of ways the film itself isn't obscure Citizen right. Kane you know is one of the most one of the most famous classic films in the world um, and with good reason, but there's very little that is, is really talked. Mankiewicz is not particularly talked about when you talk about Citizen Kane. You talk about Orson Welles, which makes sense. Um, but so there's this open question about how much Mankiewicz actually did. This, this film essentially posits that he wrote the entire first draft of the script without any apparent input from Welles. Um, at least that's the way that the film represents it. And then supposedly at some point, Wells went back and edited the script. Now Mank at the end of the film does come out with like a 327 page script. So one would think <laughs> at that, some Wells, point it got edited. <laughs> that well, someone edited it. I don't know who exactly, but definitely someone did. Um, but so it, it's interesting then to cover this guy who was instrumental in a lot of, uh, of Hollywood films of the 30s and 40s, but doesn't get tons of credit, doesn't really get talked about. You know, before this film came out, if you had said the word Herman J. Mankiewicz, I don't think that anyone would have had any idea what the fuck you were talking about, <laughs> unless you were really, really into uh, classic Hollywood and uh, particularly screenwriters of classic Hollywood. But even then, this is not someone who's like a household name. He's not as well known as someone like Billy Wilder or Francis Marion or, um, or Orson Welles, certainly. So on that scale, I think it's interesting that Fincher is sort of giving exposure and, and at least adding to the conversation around a writer who's not terribly well known outside of historical you know, classical Hollywood circles. Uh, the other side of it, and I had—I mean, I had a number of problems with this film. Um, I do think that Gary Oldman gave a fantastic performance. Uh, and I have my own issues with Gary Oldman, but he really does anchor the film. I think that he makes a film that could have been very boring, very interesting. And he gives a character, again, that could have been quite one note or could have been um, kind of just reprehensible or, or unattractive, very attractive. And I think that it's very much due to his screen presence and his performance. Um, so I really liked Gary Oldman. I liked Charles Dance as far as he went. He plays William Randolph Hearst. I liked Amanda uh, Seyfried as um, Marion Davies. That's about all I liked. And I, I've got, I, I, no, that's not about all I liked. I did not, I liked the last act. I think that the end of the film, when we actually get more into the writing of Citizen Kane, uh, the film gets interesting. Before that, 
I, I was having difficulty understanding why I cared about Mankiewicz's various problems with alcohol, with, um, you know, the, the politics, the behind the scenes politics of MGM. Uh, I had problems with some of the portrayals of various characters, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but I have problems with the representation of women. Um, I have problems with name dropping. Uh, I have problems with the fucking timeline. There were times where I did not know what, like what period we were supposed to be in. And Fincher uses this style of like using a typewriter script and basically, you know, the, as though this is a screenplay. And he does that, but he doesn't always do it. So there's jumping back and forth in time periods that at a certain point I was like, wait a minute, what year is this supposed to be? Like, where, where does this take place in relationship to everything else? And so I, there were a lot of things that I had a lot of difficulty with. Yeah. Well, and I think that the jumping around in time, uh, I think that that was clearly trying to, um, um, what's the word? Oh, oh, not homage, but just kind of pay a bit of, of, um, reference to citizen kane itself but um and i think sometimes it worked and it was kind of interesting particularly like you said in the last act but in general yeah it's definitely hard to keep track even when they specifically tell you oh this is 1934 or whatever i don't think that they did enough other than putting a line on the screen to really root you in that world and it's also not clear are these memories are these flashbacks that we're experiencing or is it just give like just giving us filler information so that we know the things that have happened in Mankiewicz's life and the things that he has seen that lead up to today like is he actively thinking about these things while he's writing the script or is this just to help the audience out I never really felt like that was clear um, yeah the the framing of the narrative was a little bit confusing and as you say I think that it it is trying to reference Kane which to me is quite unfortunate because <laughs> I'm sorry if you're going to reference one of the most famous and best beloved classic films like widely by, by some people widely considered to be one of the greatest films ever made you better do it good like mm-hmm. you better like you better be making Citizen Kane again uh which obviously Fincher is not and and that was the other thing I think that the the reference points to Kane um in terms of the structure of the film itself didn't work because it wasn't clear that that's what they were doing they had he he has the structure that he could have he could have taken Kane's structure at some level and used that to inform his own film but he doesn't really he just sort of halfway does it yeah yeah and that's the thing it's like I mean obviously this is a movie that he cares about meaning Citizen Kane otherwise why would he make this he's been trying to make this movie for years his father who has now passed wrote the screen wrote the screenplay and is credited as the screenwriter and so this is a project that has meant a lot to him for since I guess the early 90s and so it's it's one of those traps that certain directors fall into sometimes that we talk about on this podcast um where it's like they and I don't want to say that David Fincher doesn't know how to make a movie because obviously he does but uh They just sometimes fall into traps. And I think maybe this is a case, not that he doesn't know what he's doing, but that he's a little too close to the material, perhaps to really step back and 
and say, okay, these are things that are working and these are things that are not. Yeah, there, there was that sense that he, was, he wasn't doing what was right for the film, but was doing what was right for the script yeah or something and maybe as a result yeah and and there's always there's a little bit of a fraught thing when you're making a film that was the screenplay was written by your father and your father has since passed and this was like a passion project right there Mm -hmm. at a certain point you're like okay but yeah like, like you say can you really take a step back and say this is what this film needs versus this is you know what i want to do or what the screenplay says i should do yeah yeah i do want to jump back a little bit though and just comment uh answer your comments or agree with your comments i guess about the performances and i think that it's it's interesting because it's like on one level sorry on one level i agree with some of the criticisms about the age despair is this discrepancy sorry i can't think of words um because you do have Gary Oldman, who is 61, playing someone who identifies himself in a line of dialogue at the end of the movie as being 43. And, but also, I mean, rough living, we've talked about that before. And I don't think that he being older than Mankiewicz by, you know, so many years, I don't think that that was really as big of a negative as other people considered it to be. And I think that, like you said, Oldman gives a great performance. He's really spectacular and he really does make this movie. um, He he makes the good things of what this movie is. And um, he really, there are times where he's just so captivating. And so I didn't have a problem with that. I also similarly is weird because i also felt like yeah the fact that amanda seafried is in her 30s playing someone who's also like around in her early 40s i was just like okay that feels a little bit more troubling to me but also she's so good that it's like i i can't i can't be totally bothered by that either so it was kind of a weird i don't know it was kind of a weird thing i think the issue that i have with the um with the ages is, is more i think that it actually does work in the film the casting the casting works for the yeah. most part um the one issue that i had with the ages of the actors versus the actresses is that the actresses you, so everyone is playing people who are roughly contemporaries right obviously hearst is older right um but everyone else is like in their late 30s and their 40s mm-hmm. the women the actresses themselves were routinely cast five to ten years younger Yes. And the men are being cast five to 10 years older. Right? Yeah. So you're coming back into, so on the one hand, I'm just like, yeah, Menace Free is great. But couldn't you have gotten a 40 year old actress, right? Mm-hmm. Who could have been just as good. And that that's one of the issues that you, when you've got a 62 year old Gary Oldman playing 43 and you've got a whatever 30 year old, I don't know how old Amanda Seyfried actually is, but um, you've got like a 30 year old uh, Amanda Seyfried playing someone who's supposed to be 36, 40 then there's a little bit of a problem because there's yeah. a there isn't just an a um a discrepancy of look there's there's a discrepancy of age and there is this tendency to then the men are allowed to be older the men are allowed to age and are allowed to look like they're in their <laughs> you know 60s when they're actually in their 40s but the women aren't yeah um and so and that's I where think, i think the problem is oh totally totally and i think it probably wouldn't it, I mean, people would still talk about it, and fairly so, but I think it maybe wouldn't have been as much of a blinding issue if 
Seafried was kind of the one-off, right? Like if she was the only yeah. one in the cast that was cast so much younger than her role, if if Sarah had been played by someone who was actually in her 40s, because there actually are 40-year-old actresses. I, I, I know Hollywood doesn't know this. It's a real big secret, but they're out there. No, um, that's a lie. <laughs> Women are either 25 or they're 70, one or the yes. other. There's nothing yes. in between. I know. Breaking news, everybody. But um, but yeah, and I think that's that's where uh that's where it runs into problems is because it's not just one actress who is really spectacular and really fit the role so well. So let's just go ahead and cast her and we'll figure out the age thing. It's the fact that this was just what Fincher did. And I mean it is who Fincher is too to be honest yeah well let's talk about the representation of women in this film because let's this do. was this was where my this this began to bug me fairly early on and it bugged me more and more the longer I thought about it and the longer the film went on you've been listening to an excerpt of our bonus episode on make if you would like to hear the rest of this episode go to our patreon page and subscribe patreon.com slash citizen dame.